0: could require anything for everybody in a church, it would be to take Financial Peace University. And if you don't take it this course, my hope is that you'll put it in your planner sometime to take it the next time or the next time after that. It is so helpful to you as a steward of God's resources and to minimize the problems that may become in your own personal life or marital life. So I hope you'll take it. My wife and I took it when it was, I think, 13 weeks instead of nine. And we walked away so benefited by that. I would pray that everybody would get involved in Financial Peace University. I have a mistake of sorts in the compass. It says special sermon, but I didn't tell you when, and that's going to be in a couple weeks. Now, I would like to think every sermon I have is special. Why would I ever want to preach an unspecial sermon? But that special sermon that God's laid on my heart is going to be in a few weeks from now, so I just wanted to make that. You say, oh, he's got that special sermon today. No, it isn't today. Well, I'm going to make a confession as I start. Um, Bless you. I enjoy southern gospel music, as well as a whole lot of other kind, but, yeah, I do enjoy southern gospel music, and I listened to Paul Heil's uh, review, and in the top five was a song that had words like this. Top five songs of 2014, the words of the chorus. Oh, preacher, you say you want to be my friend. Don't be afraid to call my sin what it is. And preacher? Tell me I can overcome, but it's only by the blood of the Lamb. Don't tell me like I wish it was. Preacher, tell me like it is." When you go to the book of Proverbs, you can't sugarcoat. It it, it tells it like it is. And so today, after five weeks being away from the book of Proverbs for the holidays, can't believe that that five weeks has gone by so fast, and here we are back into the book of Proverbs. We're coming back, and what we're gonna see here are things that are very difficult from time to time, and today is one of them. And so I want you to hang with me. Now, what I'm doing in the book of Proverbs is simply this. I'm training you to live life well. More than any other book in the Bible, the book of Proverbs is a book that trains you to live life where you are. So my goal is that I want you to know how to live life well when you're away from this building. When you're away from this church, when you're at work, I want you to live it well. When you're in your family, in your home, I want you to live life well. When you're at school, I want you to live life well. In your private life, I want you to live life well. And as I said, when you move into the book of Proverbs, it is loaded with coaching, and it's not always an easy message. So it is preacher today, tell it like it is. Now, what author King Solomon has been talking about so far in the first two chapters has been very repetitive. He keeps on saying, get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom, get wisdom. In fact, the first nine chapters, basically, that is his appeal. Because he's thinking about his children. And you who are parents, how many of us don't want our children to have wisdom? I do. And then he's thinking about his subjects in his kingdom, Israel, Judah, All of you, get wisdom. And then I'm sure in some sense he's thinking 3,000 years down the road to a church like Old North Church, and he's saying to the people of God at Old North Church, get wisdom. For when we get wisdom, we spare ourselves a lot of trouble and we discover a life of blessing. And if you don't get wisdom, you get a whole lot of trouble in life and very little blessing. So let's get to the text. I'd like you to stand and honor the reading of God's Word, and I will read it this morning. You follow along as uh, we see some powerful, direct, tell-it-like-it-is verses. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness? who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. You may be seated. And as you are being seated, I say, wow. Talk about pointed, direct truth. I hope it will all sink into us today from the platform to... The congregation. Now, there's a saying that goes something like this. When you marry someone, you get the whole family. Anybody ever hear that? That's kind of the truth. And I hope that when you got married, you like the family you got. Some people don't. And if you don't like the family you got, <clears throat> you're kind of stuck. And you got to learn to maneuver in different ways to make it work. Well, Solomon is saying, When you get wisdom, you get wisdom's relatives. And wisdom has two in his family that are highlighted today. Discretion and understanding. So Solomon is saying, I want you to get wisdom, and when you get wisdom, you get his brothers and sisters. Discretion and understanding. Now, we've already met these family members back before Christmas. Discretion and understanding. But let me give you a little review. Discretion is the ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. And I can't tell you how many people in America and even churches don't know the difference between right and wrong. And how do you know the difference between right and wrong? God tells you. He's the one who sets the standard. It's not up up to us to decide what's right and wrong in our own eyes. And discretion is knowing what's right and wrong because God tells us what it is. Now the other cousin here is understanding. Understanding and that is very similar to discretion. But here's the difference. It's not only the ability and understanding to tell the difference between right and wrong, but to know why something is right or wrong. It goes one step further. And so understanding gives a person the insight to the inherent nature of what is wrong and why, and what is right and why, and those two things go together very, very well. Well, so much for our review. Of these family members of wisdom, which are discretion and understanding. Now, verse 11 says that these family members, discretion and understanding, will guard and watch over you when you get wisdom. Now, why does it tell us that? The reason is Solomon knows there's danger around in life. You wouldn't need a guard if there wasn't any danger. You wouldn't need to be cued that there are difficult seas in life unless they were there. And Solomon is saying, life is tough. There are lots of rocks out there. Could sink your boat. And I'm going to send two things to you when you get wisdom. I'm going to give you understanding. I'm going to give you discretion. They'll watch over you. They'll guard you. Now, does that mean that we become passive? We get wisdom, we just sit back and relax, and they're going to do the hard work. No. Discretion and understanding are like lighthouses. They are around the rocks that could sink you, and they say, "Uh uh-oh, over here is a bad spot. Uh Uh-oh, over here is a bad spot. It is up to us when we see the lighthouse, see discretion and wisdom guarding over a rock of life that could sink us to steer clear, to steer clear of those difficult spots. So as a backdrop, as I talk about the rocks in the sea of life, I'm going to paint two pictures right now. One is a cruise ship. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? May I see your hands? Hmm, I'm panning the audience. Yeah, how come you never invited me? (laughs) I've never been on one. I'm looking forward to a cruise someday. But when you're on a cruise, you're there for a good time. You're on the sea, you're enjoying the food and the entertainment and the fun, and and maybe there's that occasional rough sea. Maybe there's that occasional storm. Maybe there's that occasional virus that gets a third of the boat sick. But basically, a cruise ship is fun. You want to sit back and enjoy it, and you think there's no real significant threat to safety. You're out there for fun. That's the first picture, a cruise ship. There's a second picture I leave with you. It is a cargo ship. It is laden with all kinds of values, but this cargo ship is coming into a dangerous harbor, hidden reefs and dangers all over the place. And so they have put up markers there that if you'll stay within the parameters of the lights and the markers, you're going to come to harbor safely. But if you ignore those that guard and watch over you, You might hit the the reef, you might hit the rock, and it can sink your boat. Okay, so you got the cruise ship. You got the cargo ship. Which one are we more like? Well, here, listen up. The illusion for most of us is that life is like a cruise ship. Things are pretty safe. You should have a lot of fun. Relax, there's not that much to worry about. In fact, on your ship of life, you can do pretty much whatever you want to. It's up to you and you won't get hurt. Just do whatever you want. Friends, if you think that life is like a cruise ship, that is the position of the fool in Proverbs. That life is no danger. That life is to do whatever you want. That life is no consequences. That life is a cruise ship. That's the position of the fool. The reality is life is more like a cargo ship with a lot of valuables in a harbor laden with all kinds of obstacles that if you do not look at the markers, you could hit them and sink your ship all the way from fixable damage to total destruction. Very dangerous position to be. And life is about that cargo ship that needs lighthouses near the danger ports so that it will guard us and help us to move towards safety. And those lighthouses are discretion and understanding. So here's the big idea of my sermon today. Let discretion and understanding keep you from disaster. Let discretion and understanding be the lighthouses that mark those rocks that can sink your boat. It is never any fun to hit the rocks and sink. There's great casualty at that moment. And so the reality is that life is more like a cargo ship with threatening obstacles than it is the cruise ship. And we all need discretion and understanding to help us. Now, there are many rocks that Proverbs talks about throughout the book. But in this section today, chapter 2, he talks about two rocks. And today, I'm going to be frank. I'm going to tell it like it is. Uh, It might be a little uncomfortable for you and for me, and I see some children in the audience today. I'll make it as PG as I possibly can. But I want you to know that the material today is real. I've been in ministry for 40 years, and I've seen what these rocks will do to people who ignore discretion and understanding. And I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want it to happen to me. I don't want it to happen to my family. Now... I'm not being judgmental when I say this, I'm preaching the facts of Scripture. But there will be people in life, and you know them, and I know them, and maybe you're one of them, who will live and speak in different ways than the Bible. They won't want to follow the ways of God. They won't care about uh, wisdom and discretion and understanding. And they'll do things that the Bible says that they should not do. And they will live outside the prescribed pathway of God as outlined in His Word. And so we find the first example of a person who's headed towards the rocks. And this is the kind of rock that we have, this rock of bad friends and their sinful behavior, which is the first rock. Solomon Solomon cites an example. These people who are bad friends are people with bad language, number one. They have perversity. They speak a language that is rotten and vile, cutting and demeaning, lying and deceptive. Please hear me. Discretion and understanding says, steer clear of these people with perverse mouths. They're a bad rock. Don't associate with them in your inner circle of friends. In my earlier years, I gravitated towards some friends with perverse mouths. And it wasn't too long until their bad language rubbed off on me and 50 years ago, you won't believe that your senior pastor was Potty Mouth Al. (laughs) I really had a bad mouth. And it took me forever to break that potty mouth. And so today, even 50 years later, I have to be very careful, I cannot hang out with people who use bad language. I cannot go to the movies and TV where they got profanity-laced things. Do you know what's going to happen? It's going to resurrect potty mouth Al and me. And that can't happen. And by the way, I really get bothered when I see NFL stars drop the F-bomb on national television to a whole generation of people who don't need that kind of influence. And it's a hard, hard thing. But you know what? That's 50 years ago. I had a potty mouth. Do you know that today it is tons worse? The language all the way from the mall to the stadiums and all the way in between is incredible. I was working with some young people a few years ago, and we had a problem with chat rooms. And I got into the chat rooms of some young Christians in my church. I couldn't believe the perverse and vile things that I saw in the chat room that young people are using in their texting and chatting and all of that kind of thing. Enough to make a sailor blush. And Solomon is saying, you can't afford the luxury of having friends in your inner circle like that. Now he moves on, not only perverse language, verse 13. He's talking about people who forsake the path of righteousness for the ways of darkness. What does that mean? People who, perver- who forsake the path of darkness and, and they leave the path of righteousness. Well, the Bible is full of what's light and darkness. And so I went for a sampling, book after book. What do people do in the path of darkness? Let me tell you. They live a life of sexual immorality, anger, dishonesty, drunkenness, dissension, stealing, jealousy, criminal activity, a boatload more. I found in books like Proverbs and Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, Revelation. It's not that the people described in those verses happen to make sinful mistakes. My goodness, we all make sinful mistakes. What he's talking about is that the people in this book actually willfully choose to sin. It's their lifestyle. They do whatever they want to do regardless of what the Bible says, and they leave the path of what they know is right to walk down a path of what they know is wrong, and it is dangerous because it is darkness. And verse 14 tells us, a clue how bad leaving that path could be. It's not just bad enough to choose to walk into sin. Verse 14 says, They come to the place where they rejoice in it. They enjoy their sin. If they knew how close they were to the rocks of destruction, it would send a chill through them. They wouldn't rejoice. They'd be scared that they're going to sink in all kinds of agony. But they don't see it. And even though God loves them, and even though God sent His Son for those who are walking that kind of rejoicing path of sin, Solomon is saying those kinds of people are not good for you. Don't hang out with them. They're bad for you. And here is the point. If you have discretion and understanding guarding you, you can see the wrong way. If you have understanding and discretion guarding you, you can see those who are not good for you but if you do not have wisdom, if you do not have discretion and understanding, you can't see the bad behavior and you can't see the people who are bad for you and you will become in league with them and you will move ever closer to disaster. And Solomon say, I don't want that for you. Many of you know that my youngest son fell into a heroin addiction and this past year he spent five months in prison and three months in a rehab institution, and this past Monday he was released from the rehab and came to Erie to a halfway house. So what I had the privilege of doing last Sunday was to drive to where he was for his last day in the rehab center, and guess what one of the conversation things we had was? Son, look out for the rock of bad friends when you get back to Erie in the halfway house. You're going to have more freedom. You're going to be in familiar places. There are going to be people you know around you that aren't good for you. Son, I am like Solomon talking to you right now. Watch out for those bad friends. They can take you down. Isn't it thrilling you can talk to your son that way and he's willing to listen? I would ask you to keep him in your prayers. But the Bible has it right. Bad friends will wreck you. No wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And Ephesians 5, 7 says, therefore, do not associate with them. And the reason is simple. Never miss this. Bad friends will pull you down. You will not lift them up. I've mentioned this before uh, some weeks ago, but I wanted to stick with you. Chuck Swindoll, an anointed preacher, puts it this way, talking about how bad friends will harm you and you won't influence them for good. He says, when you put on white gloves and touch mud, you never see the mud get glovey, you'll always see the gloves get muddy. That's the way it is. Do not be deceived. So, my friends, the first dangerous rock where there's discretion and understanding guarding that rock so you don't crash into it is bad friends and their evil conduct. You get close to that, you're going to have a crash. But there's a second rock, and he moves to it. It's a rock that's prolific in America. We don't choose to go to it. It keeps on being thrust towards us. It is immoral relationships, verses 16 through 19. A huge rock, and the likelihood is that many outside the church are going to crash into this rock, but listen. There are multitudes of people inside the church who crash into these rocks as well. And guess what? It is in the family and in the church we need to talk about this rock, and it's in the family and the church we don't. I've never really figured that out. But because Solomon talks about it today, because I'm committed to preach the whole counsel of God, we're going to talk about the rock of immoral relationships today, and verse 16 says that part of the function of wisdom, discretion, and understanding is to deliver us from immoral relationships. Now, in verse 16, it talks about, quote-unquote, the forbidden woman. The Hebrew says the strange woman, and in a lot of English versions, it comes over as the strange woman. And if you didn't know what we're talking about today, you'd say, the strange woman, hmm, I've never figured out my wife, maybe she's the strange woman. No, (laughs) that's not what they're talking about here at all. The strange woman has a distinct meaning here. It is one whose sexual activity is outside the circle of a person's proper sexual relationship. So you could translate the strange woman as the immoral person. Now Solomon here is talking about anyone, even though it's in the feminine, anyone whose sexual activity outside the circle of a person's proper sexual relationship, and I want you to know what this means. We didn't have to used to be so clear about it, but we must be in today's society. The proper circle for a Christian, for God's will when it comes to sexual relationships, is sexual expression between two people of the opposite sex who are married to each other. If you get that, say amen. Amen. All right. I want you to understand. So what does that mean? All other sex is immoral and strange according to the Hebrew Bible outside the will of God and it is a rock that will sink your ship and wisdom shows this to a person. It shows us the rock of immorality and it shows us even further how far Hollywood has taken us away from the right path into the dangerous sea of rocks and many boats are crashing. Now the strange woman of verses 16 and 17 is described as a seductive and covenant-breaking person. She comes on to the man with flattering speech to break the seventh commandment. She was formerly married and then she was also formerly with her God but reneged. And she promises all who come to her that they will have a good time. But... We'll see what happens in her appeal in verses 18 and 19. Her appeal is actually deadly. Now, this is the first time in the book of Proverbs we meet this, quote-unquote, seductive woman, the strange woman. And we're going to see her several more times, so I want to make some clarifications, lest you think that the women are always the bad people in a relationship. That's not what Proverbs is saying at all. Now, for some reason... Over the centuries, way back to the time of Solomon, it was the woman who became the symbol of sexuality and not the man. I don't know why. Now fast forward. Who sells us things in commercials? Sexy men or sexy women? Basically sexy women, unless you're Matthew McConaughey and he's driving a car and all you see is his face. Interesting. And then look at the TV shows and movies. Women are portrayed as the aggressors, they they play this prominent role, and the myth that comes to many men, including Christians in America, is that women are somehow sexually driven and something must be wrong with my wife. Satan has totally messed up human sexuality. We need to understand this rock. And the truth that Solomon is trying to say is not who it is as the aggressor, but that whenever you step outside the bounds of marriage for a sexual relationship, it is a rock that will sink your ship. Now, having said that, that it doesn't matter who it is, male or female, it's the matter of of uh, the illicit nature of, of stepping outside of marriage, I do want to say there is a strange woman. There is a strange woman we need to talk about today. She is seductive in our land. She comes to millions of homes. She invites mainly men to her delicacies on a computer monitor. If a man doesn't have discretion and understanding to guard him in his own home, he falls into deep trouble. Now, just how enticing is this strange woman? Well, I got a few statistics out of dozens and dozens from a Christian ministry called Pure Hope. Listen to these few out of dozens. Every second, $3,075 is being spent on porn in America. Every 39 minutes, a brand new pornographic video is made. Every 39 minutes. Seventy percent of 18 to 24-year-old men will visit pornographic sites in a typical month. According to pastors, the top sexual issue damaging their congregation is porn addiction. This one blows me away. Thirty-seven percent of pastors say cyber porn is a struggle for them. And this one absolutely fillets me. 93% of boys and 62% of girls are exposed to Internet porn before the age of 18. There's a strange woman out there in our land. She's prolific, she's aggressive, and the new twist is this. Until recent years, you had to go outside your home for this. In our day, through all the many devices, in comes this strange woman who is ruthless and brazen and shameless and bold and people say that porn and consensual sex are victimless yeah they said that in Solomon's day too but listen what Solomon says verses 18 and 19 for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed none who go to her come back nor do they regain the paths of life that sounds like there's a victim to me and I don't want to be it and I don't want you to be that kind of victim And so Solomon's message is strong. Don't miss it. A sexual life outside the bonds of marriage has victims. And the truth is, when you boil it all down, it is immorality is the doorway to death. You cannot miss that. That's what he's saying here. Immorality is the doorway to death. You say, what kind of death are you talking about, Pastor Al? Could it be physical death? Sometimes it is. But what Solomon is talking about here is spiritual death. The pathway where the Spirit of God is not in you and you are sinking deeper and deeper into death and one day, eternity without God. I would call that serious. And that is a rock that he doesn't want to crash on. And so it's clear, even in the New Testament, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals shall enter the kingdom of God. I'd call that serious. That's how bad that rock can be. But here is the good news. I love this. The good news is this. When you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ... He forgives all of that. He makes you into a new creature. And now you can steer away from those rocks into a safe harbor. And so he says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, And such were some of you, but you were washed... You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, the statement of grace is this. No matter what rock you have hit, when you realize that Jesus Christ is the answer to life and your light and your Savior, He will take you from the rock of death to the water of life, and that is grace. Somebody say amen. Amen. That's what He's about. He's not here to condemn you. He is here to keep you from a rock that will destroy you. And if you hit the rock, to bring you back through the grace of God. Hallelujah. That's the kind of Savior that we have. Well, today, Solomon has talked about two rocks that could sink your boat. Bad friends, immorality. And he said, you know, when you get wisdom, you'll get insight, discretion, and understanding. It'll show you where those rocks are so that you don't have to crash. But if you don't see the light, you're going to crash. Now, it's amazing to me how he wraps this up in Proverbs. Verses 20 and 21, he says, if you see those lights, you will steer away from those rocks and God will give you blessing. You'll dwell in God's blessings. Does that mean that nothing will ever go wrong? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It just that means that if you don't hit a rock that's going to take you down, life is going to be so much better. On the other hand, it says in verse 22 that if you do not steer clear of those rocks, it says the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of us. You are going to have a crash. And here's the insidious thing. For many people, life is going to be like the Titanic. It will never sink. And even though it hit the rock of an iceberg and had a slit, people thought, we're safe. This is no big deal. And so they continued their dancing and their eating and their fun and all those kinds of things. And they never understood that the ship was sinking because they didn't see immediate consequences. And Satan's tool of deception is for you to get as close to a rock and even scrape it and think you're going to be okay, but you're on the Titanic. And Solomon is saying, there are lighthouses. Now, it's interesting to me today that lighthouses are no longer really out there warning. They're pieces of art. And so people collect the lighthouse here and a lighthouse book there and all those kinds of things. But a lighthouse is there to hold up the light. That when it's so dark and you can't even see the lighthouse, the one thing you can see is the light that will keep you from the rocks. And today, my training for you, this training on the skill of living life, is to come to you and say, If you will get wisdom, you'll get as brother and sister discretion, discretion and understanding, and when you see where they're positioned by the rock of immoral relationships and bad friends, you can steer clear, and God will bless you and protect you. Otherwise, a crash is coming. Statistics say some of you will crash in this room today in the next year. My prayer is that no one will. And so I offer an invitation And the invitation is this. I want to right now transform this area into a prayer area. A prayer area. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's your light. He's the one who will steer you clear. He gives you the power to get past the dangers. You need Jesus today as your Savior. So that's invitation number one. Invitation number two is you realize, hey, Pastor Al, I'm closer to the rocks than I thought. I want to make a mid-course correction here. I don't want to get any closer to that. I want to get in the middle of the stream of blessing and safety. And you would come and I would pray for you as you make that adjustment. And the third is, I know some people who are out there in those rocks. And I don't want them to crash, and my heart is breaking for them. And you would come up and intercede for them on your knees right now and before the Lord, praying for people you know are in danger. So as we sing this song, the band is coming right now, at any time during the song. If you need to receive Christ, if you need to make a mid-course correction, if you want to pray for somebody who's out there in the dangerous seas of water, of rocks, that is, I'm going to ask you to come to the front, and then when the song's over, I'm just going to pray, and we'll be on our way. Is that fair enough? Would you stand? If the Spirit of God is speaking to you for Christ, for correction, for somebody else, you come as we sing at any time, and then we'll pray. May the Spirit of God now move on this church in a special way.